Again, before we come to God's word, let us bow in prayer. Let us pray. Also in that psalm, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. And then we read, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? And our prayer this evening is that as we come once again to this letter to the new Christians in Thessalonica, that we may meet with God, that through his Spirit, he may speak to us, build us up in our faith and encourage us as we seek to follow Christ, to live for Christ, and to open our hearts and our lives to Christ always. So hear our prayer, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, I, I ask you to turn back to the, the reading, and you, you may wish to, to follow some of the verses as I refer to them. And uh, as we begin once again in First Thessalonians, it is, I believe, as we've been reading it together, at least I've been finding this, that it is a letter of encouragement. We've been reading through it over the, the past number of weeks, uh, and you've been hearing sermons which have encouraged and been demonstrating the transformational nature of the, the Word of God. Last week, we were reminded of Paul's constant gratitude to God, that the Thessalonians had heard and accepted the, the Word of God, the Word that was at work in them. And these fledging Christians, these new followers of Jesus Christ, and those who were no longer living by the conventions of the world around them, uh, which, you remember, Terry summed up as treasure, leisure, and pleasure, the idols of our age. But, they, but they, these new Christians were living by the, the conviction of their hearts, by the hearts that were newly transformed. They, they were newly transformed believers, we read in chapter 2 and verse 13. Now, we left the, the chapter 2 with uh, Terry's exhort, exhortation to keep looking up. For Paul, again, in his letter, refers to the expectation of Christ's uh, coming, his coming again. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. He's coming again. The letter is written soon after Paul had been to Thessalonica. He had had to get out of the city because a mob threatened him with force, the kind of intimidation that Paul wasn't immune from. He had experienced fierce stoning before. He had to leave under cover and travel firstly to Berea, we remember, then to Athens, and then later to Corinth. And Paul is writing to let the Christians in Thessalonica know he hasn't forgotten them. He had to move on. Circumstances forced his leaving them. They, they were dear to him. He, he wanted to return. But circumstances didn't allow it. 
And he had been wonderfully inspired by their response to the gospel. And he was writing to encourage them. But also in chapter 3, we read of how Paul recognizes that he, he personally, he was encouraged. He, he couldn't travel to them, so he sent his young friend Timothy to them. In chapter 3 and verse 2, we read, Timothy was sent to strengthen and encourage them. He returned with a, a good news story of, of how these new Christians were managing to witness to their faith. In verse 7, Paul writes, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. And as we look at this third chapter in the middle of the letter, it is a kind of hinge, so to speak, in the middle. And when reading these letters, of course, we remember the, the numbering of the text was introduced in the 16th century. Paul didn't have chapter numbers. And the central part of his letter was, it seems to me, a hinge between his recollection of how he was received by them and how he preached the word to them in chapters 1 and 2. And in chapters 4 and 5, he instructs them in how they are to live a holy life in the expectation of Christ's return. Encouragement is always special when received. I'm sure we can all identify with that and recognize that. And, and Paul wrote in verse 5, he could stand it no longer. He, he had to send Timothy to find out about their faith. He had been living with an intolerable suspense. He needed to know if these children in the faith were surviving or had they succumbed to temptations and weakened? Had they built on sand or were they built on rock and were still standing? That all they, all Paul and his friends, had built when in Thessalonica had not foundered. Now, as we look at this, I want to firstly draw attention to the pastor needs encouragement. The pastor needs encouragement. I, I often come across conflicting views people have of Paul. I admire Paul as one of the, the early missionaries of the church. His example and his teaching, at least for me, is admirable and inspiring. I like to read biographies uh, on Paul. Christoph uh, referred to a book recently I had to get. It's entitled Pastor Paul, written by Scott McKnight. It captures what Paul was as a pastor. Tom Wright's biography of Paul, published in 2017, is also stimulating and tells the story of Paul, the missionary who proclaims the word and the pastor who equips the church. Now, I, I remember in my past uh, congregation when I was there as the full-time minister, I, re I remember <clears throat> doing Bible studies on Paul's letters. And there was always one person 
He disliked Paul. She always saw Paul as sectarian, misogynist, and dogmatic. Now, I think as we consider 1 Thessalonians, you begin to see the pastoral heart that motivated Paul. We have over the past few weeks, as he has been explaining his absence, discovered his pastoral gifts, his determination to be a good steward of the gospel. He preached the good news to them faithfully, not so that men might admire his preaching, not to to get praise and a clap on his back from his audience, not behind a mask. He's not hiding behind a mask, but he genuinely and passionately tells them of King Jesus who died and rose again. The faithful pastor is called to handle God's word and to guard it and proclaim it, to faithfully expound the word of God, which works powerfully through the Holy Spirit in those who believe. The preacher's task, according to the late John Stott, who was a esteemed pastor and preacher of the well-known in the 20th century, influenced a generation of ministers of which I was one of that generation. He says the pastor's task is to keep the word, to study it, expand it, apply it, and obey it. I can say this now after over 40 years in ministry and having no congregation to be responsible to. The pastor who is faithful in his commitment to the word of God needs encouragement. Your pastor who spends hours preparing his messages for Sundays who pours over his sermon with prayer, who works hard to apply it to everyday life, who is conscious of his congregation who is going to be listening to him. He wants to provide what God can use, not for praise, but for the good and the growth of his people, for you and for me. Paul was wanting to hear if his new converts were developing. He wished for a little encouragement as he struggled with the pressure he was under. The pastor will be inspired by any encouragement he receives. He will be humbled and assured by any token of encouragement. Today, a a comment of encouragement can be conveyed by text or WhatsApp or email or whatever. I recall the occasional letter I got from people, the supportive letter, the, the, the kind comments. I do remember some of those. I do, though, seem to remember 
the letters I got that were strangely addressed usually, that were written with a nasty tone, that were unsigned, anonymous, or, or signed on behalf of disgruntled members, whoever they were. Normally, there was only one. These are usually the work of the tempter referred to by Paul in chapter 2 and verse 18. These are the ones that disturb you and grind at you. And the pastor gets them. Paul is also likened in the letter as the pastor who is gentle, like a mother, caring for her children, and like a father who encourages, comforts, and urges you to live lives worthy of God. Paul loved these Thessalonians like a parent. The new believers were like children who, who were separated from their parents. And Paul, like a mother or a father, just wanted to be with them, to help them through, to be with them in the crisis, to, with them, to be with them when struggling, when fearful, to be with them as they faced intimidation or, or conflict, with them when the, the tempter was creating havoc in their lives. I remember when one of our children were away from home, struggling with his new environment, finding it hard to, to make the right friends, distressed about his future. As parents, we were hurting inside with him. We were wanting to be with him, just to, just to be alongside. Paul, the pastor, wanted to be with his people like a parent would. The pastor in the church desires to demonstrate the characteristics of, of compassion, to be gentle and supportive, to see his people grow into maturity of faith, wants to be sacrificial in his attention to them and pours out his heart to them. The pastor needs your encouragement. And I don't think um, I'm speaking on behalf of the trade union here th this evening. There are many of our ministers in the Presbyterian Church in Ireland who are ill with stress, who have taken time out of ministry, who are broken, broken, when a little encouragement might have helped. Now, I know some. I meet with a few. The anonymous letter or the offensive attitude has eaten into their stability. When a word of encouragement or a prayer of support might have been transformational. The pastor needs encouragement. Secondly, as we look at this, we see the people are encouraged. Paul's intention is always to encourage the new believers in Thessalonica. He was so conscious that he had left a band of people with a message that they were only just coming to terms with. 
He had preached to them that Christ had died, that suffered the cross, was buried, and rose again, that Jesus was the Messiah and Lord, that he was, the, he was King Jesus they had turned to. Those who responded in Thessalonica were, as we read in Acts chapter 17, Jews, Greeks, and influential women. And there were going to be tensions. And there were mobs who were going to challenge them. The Jews who were angered by the gospel that, that challenged their faith and, and traditions. And the Romans who saw Jesus as a challenge to Caesar. Paul's desire was to strengthen and, and encourage them in their faith. Now, you may be a relatively new Christian here this evening. I, I don't know who you are. Can I encourage you by saying this church and the pastoral team want to help you in your faith? The Christian faith doesn't deny we have trials and conflicts to face. And Paul writes in chapter 3 and verse 3, there are unsettling trials. The new Christian will be set free to enter a new life with Christ, and there will be questions and at times even doubts to address your pastor your friend wants to be with you as you develop in your walk with Christ. To sit with you as you read the scriptures and discover Christ teaching new things by his spirit. When Paul was forced to get out of Thessalonica, he arrived in nearby Berea. We read in Acts chapter 17 and verse 11. And it says of the Bereans, <clears throat> they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if what Paul had said was true. Now, I, I recall a, a prayer meeting we had in my recent church. We met every Saturday morning. Bob and Louise were always present. And I think there would be some people in Bangor here who wouldn't have known Bob and Louise. And Bob, every Saturday, without any falter, every Saturday morning, prayed that there would be people like the Bereans who would, with eagerness, examine the Scriptures daily to see what was true. New Christian, I encourage you with eagerness to search the scriptures daily to see what is true. I think that as this has been a real encouragement in uh, Hamilton Road recently. The emphasis there has been on daily reading and journaling. I know it has been influencing our reading at home. But I'm also aware that maybe you are not the person who sits and reads much, and you want help. And there are other ways to help you discover more of the truth of Jesus. A mentor 
to draw alongside, to help, or a friend to bounce questions off. Paul encouraged the people by them knowing that they were always in his thoughts and his prayers. In chapter 3, verse 9, Paul had been inspired by the good news brought to him by Timothy. His heart was overjoyed by the assurance of their faith, and night and day he prayed most earnestly for them that he would return to them and teach them the true doctrines of the faith. Now, if you are a new believer, we want to pray for you, to encourage you. First Thessalonians refers to the, the trials, the persecution of the church. Uh, and last week, the, the moderator exerted, exhorted us to, to pray for the church in Afghanistan and to support relief agencies as they try to support people suffering from food shortage and famine. Last Sunday evening, we saw a video of how Christians are suffering intimidation and attacks on them by the Taliban. Afghanistan is ranked the number one nation regarding persecution of Christians. Now, I haven't visited Afghanistan, but I had the privilege to visit Christians in, in Egypt. Egypt is also in the top 20 countries listed as a place of danger for Christians. I visited shortly following an attack on a Coptic Christian church at, uh, at worship on, at Easter. 45 were killed, 126 injured. Regularly, Christian young men go missing in Egypt, and homes and businesses of Christians are attacked. While they're meeting with, the, with representatives of the Coptic Church and other Protestant evangelicals, we required an armed guard outside the church. We held a special uh, a celebration marking the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. On Sunday, we traveled to various churches in uh, SUV taxis, and uh, an undercover policeman accompanied us for security reasons. I met with uh, evangelical Christians who shared their stories of how the villages and the city, in the villages and the cities, Muslim people were being converted to Christ. But constantly, they were conscious of attacks on them. They asked, for our prayers. Like Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10, we ought to be praying most earnestly for these brave Christians. These people, wherever they are, witness to, be, to being encouraged by knowing that we are conscious of what they're suffering and that we're praying for them. But finally and thirdly, we, in this letter, we see Paul's pastoral prayer in chapter 3, verses 11 to 13. Please run your eye again over from verses 11 to verse 13. And Paul, filled with exceeding joy, having heard from Timothy, is inspired to pray to our Father God and to Jesus the Lord for the way to open up to him that he might get to Thessalonica. As Bishop Temple said, when you pray, coincidences happen. Paul knew it could only be God in his providence that would open the door for him to return to the Thessalonians. And that's how we pray. 
Always. May the Lord's will be done. And Paul had received good news about their love in chapter 3 and verse 6. And he prays for their love to increase that agape love. The love of Jesus in their lives. Sacrificial love for each other. Love that unites the church and the love that overflows from them. That's the love we find in the church. That's the love to be found in the church. Love that is welcoming, embracing. The love a father has for his son, the lost son forgiven and restored by a forgiving father. Pastoral love, love for each other and love for everyone else. That means for the one who persecutes, the one who causes distress and pain. And thirdly, he prays, may these diverse people united in Jesus be blameless and holy in the presence of God when Jesus comes. Ashamedly, do many of us consider with any urgency the coming of Jesus? Are we expectant? Do we consider our sanctification and preparation for Christ's parousia, the Lord's coming from heaven? Murray McShean, the Scottish pastor, died young. He used to ask his congregation, do you think Jesus Christ will return today? Now, what's your answer to that question? His people would answer, no, not today. McShane replied, then, my dear friend, you better be ready, for he's coming at such an hour as you think not. How holy and blameless are we in the presence of God? Again, John Stott said, there is no greater stimulus to holiness than the vision of the parousia when Jesus comes in glory with his holy ones. And Paul prays that we may be inwardly strengthened and made holy by the purging of those obstacles which stain our likeness to Christ. And can I illustrate this briefly this way? Our VW car was having warning lights. You know those warnings that come up in the dashboard clock? The catalytic converter was sitting up and the VW dealer quoted us hundreds of pounds to replace it. I took it to my reliable mechanic in Hollywood and he took a can, a little can, of diesel purge that they put into diesel tanks and lorries. And he said, put this in. I put diesel purge every t in to my tank every time I put diesel in the car. And the catalytic converter has been pure ever since. In regard to holiness, we need a regular purging. The work of the Spirit 
regularly. And I believe that we are blessed with such a ministry through worship and faithfulness in church attendance and the ministry of the pastor's teaching. And that's why we are urging people to be at worship again, those who have been away during the COVID pandemic. You're, you're welcome back. I believe we are strengthened by being together under the teaching of God and through the work of the Spirit. May we be ready for the coming of Jesus. Let's not neglect the urgency of our sanctification. So, chapter 3 is about encouragement. Firstly, Paul, the pastor, needed encouragement. Our pastor, our pastors need encouragement. Secondly, the new Christians were encouraged. Let's encourage and pray for those finding their way in their walk with Christ. And thirdly, there was Paul's pastoral prayer. And I conclude with these words from chapter 5 and verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Amen.